Edie Rice Sauer is the Executive Director of Mission Services at Transitions, a nonprofit that seeks to end poverty and homelessness for women and children in Spokane. She talked with us about how the organization is operating during COVID 19 and how you, dear listeners, can help. Welcome to Faves Forward, a podcast about how faith communities are staying connected during this coronavirus pandemic. I'm Tracy Simmons. Sauer, I'm executive director at Transitions, and Transitions is a local not-for-profit in Spokane, Washington, that um, serves women who have been homeless and their children by housing, job training program, a drop-in center for women, uh, and a series of different kinds of residential settings, whether transitional or permanent housing. Yeah, I always try to think of who you guys are as like... There's transitions, but then there's lots of arms that come out from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, and transitions is, has an interesting history. Uh, is it all right if I just go off? Please, yeah. Transitions was actually three little not-for-profits before 1995. So Miriam's House, TLC, and the Women's Hearth were all separate. And then the uh, Catholic sisters who supported them got together and said, kind of, why are we, why are we doing this separately? We're spending all this administrative money. Um, and so in 1995, Transitions as an entity was born. Uh, so it's, it is kind of an unusual not-for-profit in that I tend to think of not-for-profits as kind of spinning off other smaller not-for-profits. But in our case, we actually merged several. Given that, it's not like you have one location, right? Correct. Kind of throughout the city. Mm-hmm. We have kind of a campus where we have a number of programs. We have our child care center transitional housing and permanent housing on one four acre campus. But then we have a number of uh, three other sites. Okay. During this time of COVID, who are you still able to serve and who are you not able to serve right now? You know, for the most part, um, although it's kind of been a a little bit of a titration into services, um, we've been able to serve the same people we were uh, in February and early March. Uh, women who are on the street, uh, living in shelters, also women who are living in subsidized housing. We're able to serve some of them, trainees at our job training program. Uh, Probably the biggest challenge has been at the Women's Hearth, which is really based on one of our values, which is community building and trying to create a space for women to come together who might not have their own communities. And, um, you know, COVID doesn't look highly on community right now. So that's been a challenge of how to do that. Um, and actually, we've tended to kind of um, roll into providing emergent services, uh, showers, uh, kind of responding to those who might be most in need, uh, like people who are camping and living in cars, some shelter people, people in their own homes, we've actually kind of encouraged them to stay in their homes. We do, if we have phone access, we're contacting them to make touch. So trying to maintain that community. But that's probably been the toughest is our whole point was to create a space where people found each other and could create relationships. And, and you know, and, and the population we serve, Zoom is not their thing, really. Um, although a lot of people have phones, uh, cell phones, 
but but in connecting as a community is much harder. So that's been a challenge. Yeah, I'm sure there's a digital divide that you have to deal absolutely. with. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just communication in general is a little tougher. Mm-hmm. You, you have a house for women and children, right, that people are living in? We have two uh, transitional homes. One is for, uh, it's standalone apartments. It's for moms and kiddos who have been homeless. Uh, That's TLC. The other one is Miriam's house, which is for women who are single, so no children and who have been homeless. And then we have the home yard cottages, which is permanent housing. So it's just like having a regular house that you're renting um, as long as the person follows a lease. So that's a little different type of housing. And are those functioning right now? You know, I was thinking about this podcast that, um, you know, when you run run a residential program, you have to keep running a residential program. So, yes. So, uh, probably, I'd say at the very beginning in March, mid-March, we backed off staff a little bit. We also did uh, introduce something called Text Now, which is a texting program that uh, residents could contact their case manager uh, so that was right right at the beginning we started that. So we were able to still stay in communication and then continue our um, on-call services. Um, since that time, we've sort of slowly brought people back on site. Uh, but certainly in March and early April, we had a lot less people on site for both the protection of the residents and the protection of the staff as well. So that was a little bit of a challenge, but um, that's that's shifting back to more normalcy, nor whatever normalcy is. Yeah, that, that term, the new normal, I just, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I know that. And p- pivot is another one of those terms. Pivot seems to be a big word right now, and that kind of makes me crazy. Yeah, <laughs> you're right, it is. I do think we, you know, we've had to be resilient. Like, we've had to be creative and think about, okay, how could we continue to respond and do it in a different way? For example, staff have been great in terms of shadowing and kind of um, job sharing, so we've had some staff who are from our child care center. Well, we're, we're doing child care a little different. We're doing kind of respite care right now. And so one staff had a bit of time. She wanted to keep working. And so she's been kind of a floater at all the other sites, which I find great. How wonderful that we have somebody that might really know the other sites pretty well. Um, so kind of share, job sharing experiences. Um, also, trying to be really creative about using this time. It's, it's lessened now, but in March and April and May, we did a training every day or every week for staff. It was a Zoom training and it was everything from uh, mindfulness to housing 101. I and mean, we had Ben Stucker come in and talk about the legislation that had passed on housing in the last legislative session. Uh, Karen Stratton came and talked about um, the kinds of councilmanic things that they were working on. Um, but we also had employment uh, unemployment services and how to access those. So we made pretty good use of the time to help people stay working, even though maybe they were at home some and, and become educated about some topics they might not have been familiar with. So I, I was pleased with that. However, after about three months of doing that every week, we all decided we are zoomed out. So we've gone back to our once a month training. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, that's reasonable. This is going to last a while, I think. You know, and I think that that realization is, um, is, is still kind of sinking in for a lot of us that, okay, this is something we're, we're going to have to manage for a while. So we're talking a little bit about how to move towards, how do you do celebrations when, 
you know, that's a big part of who transitions is, is to recognizing birthdays and um, events and celebrating when somebody gets their own apartment and uh, uh, just those kinds of things. And how do we do that for staff when something's happened, like someone got an apartment? You know, this is not an easy time to find housing, really. So um, trying to be creative about, okay, how can we start moving in that direction? Because we're going to be in this for a while. That was one of my questions was, since the pandemic started, have you seen an increase in the need for your services? I think the, the yes, and I think the, the area that we are generally most concerned about is uh, domestic violence survivors. Um, you know, that's, we're not seeing an uptick, like the police are expecting to see upticks, but they haven't really seen that so much yet. But we're just concerned about people who are really isolated like that and can't get out of their homes. I mean, unfortunately, there, there's always the ongoing need and there's never enough availability. So, uh, but yes, we have seen an increase in the request for services. You know, we continue to get, we probably get three or four calls a day for housing. Um, and even though the HUD has changed the system so that basically across the country, if someone needs housing and is homeless, they go through what's called a coordinated assessment system. Um, so we're not really that front line anymore taking those calls. We still get those calls. So it's just a, it's a frightening thing that during this time it's tougher, but it was tough before. Okay. Yeah, there's just a lot of systems to navigate, sounds like. Mm -hmm. Well, and um, then you can't do it face-to-face. -face. You know, you can't just jump on the bus and you can't just set, schedule a meeting. So it's just all those kinds of barriers that make it tougher, I think, are, are complicating things. Yeah, um, there was an article in the spokesman yeah, yesterday, or maybe Saturday, um, just about how, you know, with schools going remote and sports being canceled, it's going to really impact the local economies. Um, mm -hmm. So I imagine, yeah, I imagine you're going to see some of that as well. People I think you're probably jobs. right. Yeah. Well, you know, and with the eviction moratorium, I mean, it's been extended, but there'll be a time when that shifts. And I mean, we're we're trying to see some responses and getting ready for that time, both by looking at, uh, you know, eviction assistance, landlord assistance, but I mean, there'll be a kind of a reckoning, I think, when we've got to figure out how can we, how can we make it possible for people to stay in their housing and still pay back um, fees perhaps, or, uh, or maybe not. I mean, maybe they won't have to do that, but um, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, I think that's a little, little bit of a scary piece for a lot of us. Is there anything that the community, the Spokane community can do to help? Uh, you know, we continue to ask for donations. I mean, we just had a big um, request for size five and six diapers and we just got a huge response. Um, so that's helpful. So we're always, I mean, the same things we needed before we need now. Um, however, things like wipes, um, uh, chlorine wipes, uh, masks, we're doing fairly well. We just got a new shipment of those. To uh, paper towels, those kind of cl like cleaning products are always things that we can use. And of course, financial donations as we, even we've seen some grants that have shifted to being supportive of COVID and not general services, and we're still running general services. So financial support is always, as you know, is always helpful. Um, we're, we're having a hard time um, in engaging our volunteers, which is a huge piece for us. We miss them terribly, and I think they generally miss us. Um, but sometimes there are some volunteer jobs that can be done that are social distancing, like 
raking leaves on site or mowing or uh, organizing us on most of our sites we have sort of stores where people can quote buy dishes and things you know they do a chore and they earn some bucks and they can buy some other things so sometimes those rooms need to be organized so there are ways to still be engaged although in a limited fashion and I will share with you Gonzaga uh, their financial aid directors had a big conference here last year uh, for financial aids um, advisors I think on the west coast and they were scheduled to do that again this year and then couldn't and they had stored 300 sets of bedding and um, towels so blankets towels uh, uh, sheets all that kind of pillows and so they had to get rid of those um, so we accepted them partly because otherwise they were going to go to the dump and I just find that terrifying horrible horrifying um, but a lot of them needed to be washed <laughs> and I don't know about you but I had no idea how heavy 300 sets of linen cotton linens could be it's pretty darn heavy so that was a good example of putting out a request to our volunteers would people come by pick up a bag wash it in their home bring it fold it bring it back and we were able to share all those linens with about 12 different agencies and we took some but we shared them because we didn't have room for all that but so sometimes kind of thinking out of the box about how volunteers can still engage um, but you know the chlorine wipes are something that's it's sometimes hard to find and we've got it we use them every day so yeah, so people need to keep an eye out <laughs> on those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. see them, buy them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I, I think it's people will like to know that there's ways they can help because I think people want to, like you said, they're zoomed out. They want to get off their screens and go physically do mm -hmm. something. So, so maybe people will hear this and, and get out there and help you guys. You know, um, people can write notes to our residents. Just send a card to a resident at TLC. It doesn't we, we'll hand them out and um, just say, hey, we're we're thinking about you. It's it's hard for everybody, but when you don't have your own home, that's makes it even more challenging. So I think those kind of thoughtful little things, even notes to our staff are always lovely. I have to say our staff have been incredible and just thinking outside of the box and, and collaborating really well within internally, but also externally with other agencies. So it's an interesting time, but I think people have risen to the occasion and, and responded. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, what about the clients that you're able to communicate with? What's their attitude, their sense of things right now? You know, we have been pleasantly surprised that people have just sort of bucked up and said, okay, we got to do this. Um, we, we haven't had to do a lot of reminding people to stay separate. The, the place that's been the most challenging for us, I think, uh, is Miriam's house is our home for uh, transitional housing for women who are single. And it's very much a community space. So they have their own rooms, but they share a kitchen together and a, uh, like a living room and uh, a little den and bathrooms. So having to figure out how to do that's been a little bit of a challenge. Thank God for the regional health district. I mean, the Spokane Regional Health District sends staff on site to look at your facility to help advise you how to handle situations. And they've been amazing, uh, amazingly helpful. So they gave us some good ideas. We actually had been doing fairly well by their standards. So. Um, but I think that's that's a tough kind of situation when you do you put a, have to wear a mask every time you go out of your room, even though this is your kitchen. Um, and we've been able to uh, figure out accommodations there. Oh, good. Yeah, I can't imagine what that must be like yeah. to try to navigate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're a pod. They're a community. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you know, the cafe at the YWYM building on Monroe had to shut down for a while, and uh, we're back on there, so the cafe's open from uh, 8 to 1, I believe. But, you know, not having trainees was really hard. We had a list of people who were interested in becoming trained, and um, that, that couldn't happen. Although It's amazing how many people we've been able to help find um, employment. So we still have a vocational specialist. There's a lot of different types of employment, you know, um, uh, delivery people and, um, of course, Amazon. So, um, I mean, some people are finding positions out there, not necessarily in the food industry, uh, although fast food is certainly hiring too. But again, it's kind of shifting gears and figuring out where the employment opportunities are and uh, helping people get ready for that. Well, it's good to know there's opportunities right mm -hmm. now. Yeah, there really are. Um, you mentioned the cafe. Can you t explain a little bit about what New Leaf Bakery is? Sure. So New Leaf is a job training program. It's focused on the culinary arts, but it's really about basic job skills, uh, although we often place people in food industry, but not necessarily only that. Um, really started as a program out of the women's hearth, uh, especially when there was concern that public assistance was waning, uh, like TANF was being limited and those kinds of things. So how could we help people be self-sustaining or at least semi-self-sustaining? And so we began the newly bakery cafe out of that. Um, we have a kitchen. So we have two sites. We have a kitchen and then we have a cafe. The kitchen is kind of the production kitchen. Uh, they make all the food there. And then uh, that's where our catering arm is out of that, although that's not very busy right now. And we have a curbside menu that people can order from and pick up there. But then production happens and then it's shipped over to the YWYMCA where we have a cafe. And again, it's a job training program, but more in the front of the house. So running the register, customer service, how, how to display food so it's attractive to people, uh, how to create a safe space like a restaurant. So um, that operates Monday through Friday now. And so we have trainees there and then we help them find employment as well. So somebody might be getting trained in the kitchen and they might be getting trained in the cafe and then they'll move from there uh, into employment. And we have a very successful employment rate. That sounds, yeah, that's such a great program. And are you still at Catholic Charities or did you move into the Y? Well, we, yeah, we moved, uh, let's see, December of last year into the YWYM building. Uh, we had an opportunity to go there um, and knew that the traffic flow was a little bit higher. Um, you know, we wanted our trainees to experience, you know, what a, a workplace setting would feel like. And it's a nice, we have a lot of um, interaction with YWCA anyway, so it was a nice uh, connection with them. So, yeah, we've been really happy to be there. It's a lovely site. Um, They're doing social distancing, so you can go in there, get a cup of coffee, and sit at one of the two tables that's set up in the cafe. Um, but we, we'd welcome you to be there. Nice. And in addition to training the women, it's also, I imagine, a, a small fundraising arm for you guys. You know, um, as most social enterprises, they actually don't really pay for themselves. So we have some great grant support. It certainly brings in some funds, but... Our primary goal is not so much uh, the business end succeeding as well as much as creating a training environment for people that will be helpful to them. Uh, so we're still very reliant on grant funding to keep those programs running. We have chef instructors at both sites, so um, that's a fairly substantial cost for us. And then our vocational specialist who helps people find employment. Speaking of grants, I saw you guys are looking for a, a grant writer. We are, yeah. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, so our long-term grant writer. Oh my gosh, she's 
Let's see, I've been there since 2010. She was, she's been with us since before that. She started as an AmeriCorps VISTA, has decided to retire. So that's painful. Carlene Schwab, I'll just call her out, out her name. She's been incredible. Um, so big shoes to fill, but a vibrant organization. We'd love to find somebody who's excited about being with us and who would learn a lot of things, everything from childcare to homeless services to food industry. <laughs> There is a lot of diversity there in your mission. <laughs> yes, there is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, speaking of diversity, on your website, um, I noticed you, you went ahead and made a statement about Black Lives Matter as well. Why was that important to you guys to do? Well, I think diversity issues have been important to us for a long time, maybe not long enough, but a long time. We've, over the last few strategic plans, we've had a focus on diverse hiring, diverse board um, recruitment, uh, and have found that challenging, but it's definitely been good to have that as part of our plan. So we've always been looking at that issue. I guess the other thing is that we serve a diverse population and we want to be representative and to acknowledge uh, the differences and the challenges that a person of color faces that I as a white woman don't, and the opportunities that I have that other people don't have. So we wanna keep that in the forefront and. Uh, remind people that it's something that we're always working on. Uh, we're currently doing a, um, this is another part of COVID that we wouldn't have, well, we might've been able to do it otherwise, but we're doing a, a staff book group on white fragility. So we're, uh, we do, we meet every other week by Zoom. We have about 13 or 14 staff that are doing that together. We're sharing the leadership of that. And yeah, so, and we're working right now on a DEI statement. We don't really have a statement, but we feel like that's an important piece to add. But we've been, we've been focused on that for a long time and um, really try to work hard to especially have a diverse staff so we can represent and look like the people we serve. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's important. The book club sounds really great. It's, it's interesting how even in spite of the pandemic, which is horrible, there's some opportunities that are growing mm -hmm. from it. I hear yes. that from a lot of organizations. Yeah. Yeah, although I, I read a, an article about white people responding to Black Lives Matter, and one of the things that it said was, and we always do book groups. <laughs> I thought, yeah, we're doing a book group, but this book is pretty powerful, and um, I think it's a good use of our time, and you know, it's kind of a commitment for me and the organization to say, it's worth you taking the time to read this and have a discussion to really dig deeper into what are the things that we're missing, and uh, we you know, history we don't even know. And also learning about each other and where we came from and what, where our blind spots might be. So I think it's, it's we've had two sessions now. And so I think it's, it's, a, it's a good experience for us and maybe we'll continue it. Yeah, and it sounds like it's bringing your staff closer together as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. When you're at separate sites, you don't always know each other that well anyway, but, but this makes it even crazier. I mean, I'm only on site really on Mondays right now. We're still trying to do social distancing pretty cautiously. So yeah, a book group like that brings us together and we can have a dialogue and I think helps us hear other people's experiences that we just don't know about. Yeah. Um, how long have you been with Transitions? I started there in 2010. So quite 10 years. I started as the director of the Women's Hearth, uh, which I loved and was very hard for me to consider leaving. Actually, it's kind of a unique um, I, I say it's like running a summer camp. <laughs> there's, there's a zillion different activities on a, on a regular day that's not COVID. There's a zillion activities, a zillion volunteers, um, really creative, 
uh, a supportive place for people with mental health issues to be. You know, we're really working hard to create trust so women on the street have a support network of people they know. Uh, but then my uh, predecessor, Dia Maurer, decided to leave, and I felt like it was a really good opportunity. So I've been executive director since 2012. And has working with homeless women always been kind of your your passion? Pretty much so. I um, fairly early on found that that was kind of my calling. You know, I'm a, a ordained Disciples of Christ minister, did a lot of, I did some Appalachian service in school, and then I did some inner city, which I'm starting to look at inner city. That's an interesting kind of loaded term, like, hmm, <laughs> wonder what that meant. Um, but I worked in Akron, downtown Akron, Ohio, and then pretty soon started honing on in on the direction of women who are homeless. So I worked for the YWCA in Nashville, Tennessee, for about eight years, and then we moved to Spokane. Worked for the uh, Spokane County, but in mental health services, and then worked for Volunteers of America. So I've, yeah, I've always seen uh, women who are homeless as kind of my my arena. Yeah. I didn't realize you were an ordained minister. Uh -huh. Do you kind of see this as a ministry for you? Oh, yeah. It's, it was a calling, you know. It's like, this is where I'm supposed to be. So, and I've loved it. Most, most days, it's amazing. Most days, I see incredible shifts in people and choices they make that um, are lovely and exciting. So, yeah, it's pretty special livelihood. Yeah. Would you say that it's, it's impacted your faith at all? Yeah, I guess so. I think maybe it's the reverse. Um, my faith has impacted it. And, you know, as I've grown and changed in terms of how I look at the world from a, not just through Christian eyes, because I, I don't always see myself as, I sometimes call myself a sacred agnostic. Well, I think I, I bring hope to the work. You know, I'm, I'm a believer that people can get out of dif difficult situations, that people can change, and that there is hope in the world. And that part of my role in being on this planet is to give it all away. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do is give it all away. Well, I think that's especially important right now. It's probably pretty easy to get downhearted in the middle of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, there's lots of hopeful signs out there. People are moving on and getting housing and people are feeling safe. And um, that's our job to keep trying to make it, make it certain that that, that safety is there. Well, thank you for all the good work you're doing. Is there anything you want to add to let people know about transitions or how they can help or get involved? You know, 509-328-6702 uh, is our number. Feel free to call and talk to me. Uh, again, it's Edie Rice-Sauer. But no, I think, you know, like we said, financial donations, but also just dropping off toilet paper or paper towels would be great. So we can always use things like that. Uh, keep us in your prayers as day-to-day -day is interesting. And But, you know, I think we've, come like many come through kind of challenging times and figured out how to do this for a while um, keeping spirits up so so do keep us in your prayers that would be helpful definitely that was Edie Rice Sauer talking about the hope she's seeing in the midst of these difficult times thanks for listening to Faves Forward which you can find on our website spokanefaves.com or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts we're not going to have an episode next week so I can adjust to my new teaching load at Washington State University. But we'll be back soon. And thanks as always for listening. Mm -hmm.